I don't know about you guys, but every one of us growing up, um, we had the opportunity to, to, to dream and think ahead what we might be when we grow up. You know, I know for some of us it may have been, depending on which, the, which era we grew up in, and as I look around the room, it's all sorts of eras, uh, obviously. Some of us may have wanted to be an astronaut. You know, that was, that was something that was big at one time. Maybe a fireman, a uh, policeman. Uh, you know, for me, um, you'd think, oh yeah, you probably dreamed of being a pastor. No, not so much. For me, it was actually uh, Spider-Man. <laughs> I really wanted to be Spider-Man, so much to the point that that with crayons, I was able to come up in a pair of pantyhose, come up with my own <laughs> Spider-Man mask. <clears throat> you might ask, why would you share that? That sounds embarrassing. Because I really wanted to be Spider-Man. You know, that whole, you know, being able to shoot webs and swing on them, and I was just fascinated with that. Well, I kind of grew out of that, and then uh, went into a stage where I wanted to become a professional basketball player. And... That didn't really work out, uh, you know. Um, what I found was is you probably need to actually be good enough to play in college, you know, before you, uh, or you have to be good enough in high school to actually get into a college. And even though that was something that I desired, uh, didn't quite meet the mark with that, you know. Uh, thinking back on it, it's like I shared with you guys a couple weeks ago. I could wear the T-shirt. The older I get, the better I was, right? <laughs> so you know, I I had some game. You know, I had it going on. Not all that great compared to, you know, professional. But we've all been there, those things that we want to be. But how many of us this morning would actually say that when we were small and growing up through our high school years, college years, man, I just want to be a servant. <laughs> Not too many of us, right? Uh, although if we grew up in church, we knew what that meant and we might say that in order to communicate just how holy we are, you know, to someone else. I just want to be a servant, you know. You've heard someone say that and you're kind of, so be one, you know. Are you doing anything right now that would qualify you as a servant? And so, in some ways, this passage can be very convicting to us, but it can also be very encouraging. But before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and what it has for each one of us this morning and what you want to say to us, again, individually, but also as a body of believers. So, Father, we come before you this morning in humility, uh, open and willing to accept what it is that you have for each one of us, Lord. So teach us uh, as you desire, uh, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So starting in chapter 13 from verse... One, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was 
girded. So we see this scene being set up. This time when they were going to be together in the upper room. Through the first 12 chapters of John, we talked about this last week, we know that Jesus was in his, what we would call, public ministry. And now he's moving into a time where he's in a private ministry with his disciples. Now, certainly during this first three years of his ministry, there were private times with the disciples, but he has moved from being very public in the ministry to a time of being very private as he moves towards his crucifixion. He's hanging out with the boys. It says he loved them to the end. He's hanging out with them because he wants to spend time with them. He wants to encourage them, further equip them, teach them for what lie ahead. Because troublesome times are coming, aren't they? Their world is going to be literally rocked in the next few days. So um, we see what is taking place here. And John, as one of the disciples, is documenting his view of what is going on and what is taking place here. Uh, there's three things, three lessons, if you will, for us this morning that I want us to, if you're a note taker, jot these down because it just, I think it opens up this whole passage to us. These three things are what Jesus knew, what Jesus did, and what Jesus said. What Jesus knew, what Jesus did, and what Jesus said. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor Jim, how do you, how do you come up with three points like that? What is the, the thing that, that, that stands out to you? Well, if you look at this, this text, you see in verse 1, when Jesus knew... And in verse 3, Jesus knowing. So there were things at work here, at play, in place here, that Jesus knew. And it was going to drive a lot of what was going to happen in this little scene. So what Jesus knew, number one, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come, that He should depart from this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. So immediately... When Jesus knew, Jesus knew what? Well, He knew that His hour had come. He knew that He would depart. He knew that He would leave this world. And He knew that He loved His disciples. That's all right there in that one verse. These are things that Jesus knew. Also in verse 2, "...and supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him." He knew that Judas was his betrayer. He knew that he would be, be betrayed this very night. He knew these things. So we could look at this and we could say, well, yeah, but he, Jesus is God. I mean, he, he knows everything. He's sovereign. So, of course, he would know these things. But we have to keep a balance when we're looking at the life of Jesus between, yes, he was God, but also there was the humanity side of him. As a man, the things that he recognized and the things that he recognized as God. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. So, what did he know here? Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. He knew that he came from God. He knew that he was going back to God very soon. Jesus knew that he had a work to do and he knew, it, knew that it was the will of the Father to do this work. He, he knew that. 
Now going back over those again in those first three verses, he knew that his hour had come. He knew that he would depart. Back to the hour has come. We've talked about it over the past few weeks throughout the book of John leading up to this time in his public ministry time and time again. His time had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. It wasn't time for these things to take place, his crucifixion and resurrection. So he knew that his hour had come. The time had come. The hour was upon him. He knew that he would depart. He knew that he was going to leave. He knew that he would leave this world. He knew that he loved his disciples. He knew that Judas was his betrayer. He knew that he would be betrayed by Jesus this very night. He knew that his father had given all things into his hands. He knew that he came from God. He knew that he was going back to God. He had this work to do, and he knew the work that he was doing was the will of his father. Think about a horse race. And in order to keep a horse focused, they put blinders on him, don't they? It's a very focused view of what it is that they're supposed to do. And this is what it was in the life of Jesus. He had much ministry to do while he was here on earth, but he was very focused on what his ultimate purpose for being here was. And we're leading up to that moment. Excuse me. <clears throat> so he has some quiet time now with his disciples, and he has this opportunity to share with them, to teach them, to be an example for them. John chapter 6, verse 38 says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Jesus knew that His role here was to do the will of the Father. It was a plan. There was a purpose. And He was going to carry that out. Jesus knew His purpose for coming. He says these things about Himself and His ministry. in Matthew 20, 28, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. As we saw in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Not just life, but abundant life is what he gives us. Jesus knew the plan and the purpose of his coming. And it was the will of the Father that he was focused on. And he knew that his hour had now come. John 12, 27 says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. We looked at that uh, last week. Jesus was not asking, hey, how can I get out of this? He was confirming this is what he was there for. He was very focused on the plan and the purpose and the ministry that God had put in place for him. So, Again, these first three verses of chapter 3 summarize Jesus' ministry and what He knew. He knew His hour had come. He knew that He would depart. He knew that He would leave this world. He knew that He loved His disciples. He knew that Judas was His betrayer. He knew that He would be betrayed this very night. He knew the Father had given all things into His hands. He knew that He came from God. He knew that He was going back to God. Why is that so important? Because we see in the life of Jesus this focus that he had loving everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And he loved everyone. And so his focus was such that he knew that he needed to do, to, he knew that he needed to accomplish that which the Father had sent him to do. 
So you can imagine coming into this upper room, this supper where he was going to be spending time with the disciples with all that he knew. Now, I think we need to really look at this from a perspective of we know a lot, don't we? Well, some of us know more than others, maybe some not as much. Uh, as we assess ourselves and we assess others, there is a lot going on up here, isn't there? There's a lot of things that we know. Some of it just completely useless information, right? Some of it very valuable information, but there's a lot that we do know. Now imagine, if you will, being God, what you know. You know, <laughs> it's just one of those things that just blows our mind, doesn't it? We can't even imagine <laughs> all that God knows because He knows everything. So every little intricate detail in each one of our lives, He knows that. And is that scary for anybody else besides me? <laughs> Every little thing about us, God knows, which makes Him God. That's why He's God, more not, right? So Jesus, being God, He knew what had happened in the past. He knew what was going on right now, and He knew what would come to pass. So He's looking at this from the standpoint of, knowing all from the past, knowing all that's going on right now, and knowing what's coming, knowing what's going to happen in the future. You see, we can look back, can't we? We know what's happened in the past. We can assess what's going on right, right now and see that, but we have no idea whatsoever what tomorrow holds, what this afternoon holds, what happens between 11 and 2 o'clock with the Broncos today. We have no idea. Those big important things in life, right? So Jesus, knowing all these things, past, present, and future, he's spending some intimate time with his disciples. And I think it's just very interesting what we find here that, that he does. So his work wasn't finished. There's still time before he goes to the cross for teaching, for application, for object lessons, for his disciples. So Jesus is about to give them an object lesson. So we looked at what Jesus knew, and whatever time I've spent on it this morning obviously doesn't do it justice for what Jesus knows. Uh, well, here, just memorize this, you'll have it, right? So he knows a lot, we would all agree. So what Jesus knew, now we're moving into what Jesus did. Giving everything that he knows and knew, What's he going to do? What Jesus did, number two. Verse four says, He rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. If you or I are going to be available to minister, and God is more interested in our availability than he is our ability. We would all agree with that, right? Whatever abilities we have, Let's face it, God's not all that impressed with it because where did we get it in the first place? From God. So it's an ability that God's given us that we offer back to God because He's given it us in, to us in the first place. And so, but being available to God to use that ability, that talent, that gift, whatever it is that we have, blesses God in a big way. So if we are available to minister, it will typically interrupt what we are currently doing. 
Now, how many times does that happen? Where serving for us is convenient. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it is. But most of the time when an opportunity comes to serve, it comes at a time when it's just not very convenient. It's just, you know, hey, it's just not a good, good time right now. You know, it's fourth down, two yards to go. The Broncos are about to score and somebody calls and says, hey, could you come help me move? I don't know what you guys feel when somebody calls to, can you help me move? That's just like, you know, <laughs> we should be willing and available to do that sort of thing, right? But our first thought is, could we not have planned this a little better? Do you realize what I'm in the middle of? <laughs> do you ever see the bumper sticker that you see on some trucks? Yes, this is my truck, and no, I don't want to help you move. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, great sticker, isn't it? But it never happens at a convenient time, it seems like, for serving. Someone calls, you get an email, uh, you're talking with someone. But we realize in those times, uh, this is the very thing that I know I need to be doing. But boy, the timing just stinks. This just doesn't work out real well for my schedule. It's... it's but ministry is not intended to be convenient, is it? Not at all. It's not necessarily on our time schedule. But it's God using us to get done what needs to be done when it needs done. Did you get that? To get done what needs to be done when it needs done. Regardless of what we're in the middle of. He wants to use us, you and me, to bless others, which blesses Him, which in turn blesses us. We all know that, right? He wants to use us to bless others, which is a blessing to Him, and then in the end blesses us, regardless of our stinking attitude we had going into the whole service thing to start with. From God's perspective, it's a, it's a great big blessing conspiracy, if you will. It is, isn't it? God wants to use us to bless someone. God is blessed by our availability to actually bless that person, which in turn in the end blesses us because we had the opportunity to bless someone which blesses God. It's this big blessing conspiracy if we're available to be a part of it. So here we have Jesus seeing a need, knowing, meeting that need, doing, and using it as an opportunity to share, saying what Jesus knew, what Jesus did, what Jesus said. So he rose from supper. What was he doing? He was busy eating. Have you ever been interrupted while you were eating by anyone or anything? It seems like it happens a lot, doesn't it? We're in the middle of eating and we want to say, well, I'm in the middle of supper right now. What if the voice on the other end of the phone said, that's why I'm calling we don't have any food, we're starving, we need something to eat. Well, now that would change our, we can be like, well, okay. But if they said, I need help moving right now, <laughs> I've got this antique, whatever, and there's only two types of antiques, you know, right? Heavy and real heavy. <laughs> That's the way I see it. <clears throat> so they're asking us to help. And it's interrupting something that we're doing. In this case, uh, eating. We can relate to this. Jesus is eating supper with the guys, but yet He sees a need. 
He doesn't say, how rude, I was eating supper. I haven't finished eating. I want to finish eating before I do this thing. It doesn't say that he rose after supper. Look at the text. It says that he rose from supper. That indicates to me that he rose in the middle of supper, in the middle of what he was doing. Why? The feet of the disciples were dirty. Well, of course they were. They walked around in sandals, right? They wore sandals. They walked in dirty places. It was a custom in that time, and it probably still is now, even with us to some degree, that we like to be clean, don't we? Um, some of us, maybe we take a shower in the morning. That's kind of our routine. Some of us take a shower in the morning and the evening. Some of us maybe three times a day. I, I don't know what your hygiene schedule is, and you don't have to share that with me. <laughs> but we want to be clean. We desire to be clean. And the same was true with these guys. Typically, if they were going to go to someone's house or be a guest or whatever, they would go to the bathhouses that were available in that day, and they would bathe. They would clean. But what do they do? They put on sandals, and then they got to walk from point A to point B on dirty roads and streets. So even though they might be somewhat clean, they were still dirty. Their feet were dirty. They, they were tracking in the dirt that they uh, had walked through. It says, Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. So Jesus took off what he was wearing, put on what was necessary to serve. This very act, just that picture for us, is a huge lesson for us. We know that Jesus never sinned, so many of the things He did, many of His actions, were for the benefit of His audience and for us. So it's something that takes place, something, a physical picture, if you will, for us, that has a spiritual lesson for us as well. It says, Jesus laid aside His garments, took a towel, and girded Himself. He laid aside that which He had on, and put on what was necessary to do what needed to be done. This whole interruption thing that we talked about. When we're interrupted many times, our flesh responds, doesn't it? I don't want to do that. Uh, God, I hear you, but can't you see? I'm kind of busy right now. I've got things going on. I'm ministering to my family right now, although... No conversations happening whatsoever at the supper table or whatever. You know what I mean? It's in an inconvenient time, and we either respond out of the flesh or out of the Spirit. And some of you might say, well, yeah, but the person that's requesting the help or whatever it is, there needs to be some sensitivity on their part as well, doesn't there? Well, I don't know. I don't see a rule anywhere regarding that. It just says we are to be servants, Right? whenever the need arises. So we're busy doing our own thing. We're doing what we wanted to be doing. But to be available to serve, we need to take off our flesh. Now again, Jesus never sinned, so it's not Jesus setting aside His flesh to do this thing. You understand, that's not the case. But for us, as a picture of Him taking off His garments, we need to take off that which would be in the way of us actually carrying out this act of service that we should do. Take off our flesh, take off our selfishness, take off our agenda 
and set them aside, lay them aside. Why? Because there's something else we have to put on. Humility. We have to gird ourselves in humility in order to serve the need that needs to be met, don't we? Set aside our flesh, clothe ourselves, put on humility in order to serve in the way that God would have us serve. Jesus took a towel and girded himself for us. It's not physically a towel necessarily, but it's putting on humility, having the right heart and attitude going into whatever it is the situation is that we need to serve in. Remember in verse 3, it says, The Father had given all things into His hands. The Father had given all things into the hands of Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He picked up a towel and a basin of water. Now from the Gospel of Luke, we know that before this meal, several of the disciples were arguing over who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Now that kind of sets a scene for us. These guys are arguing amongst themselves about who was going to be the greatest, who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus, who's going to sit at the left hand, all this stuff. This conversation's going on, and you can almost picture while that's going on, they're stuffing food in their mouth and things are happening. Jesus quietly gets up, takes off his garments, girds himself with a towel, grabs a wash basin, and starts washing the disciples' feet. Now, if you were in the middle of that conversation, I, I think it would stop very quickly, wasn't, wouldn't it? I mean, look at what's happening. This guy that they call Rabbi, Lord, Master, has now just stooped down to the level of a servant. So we know that these guys have been walking around in sandals, their feet are dirty on these unpaved roads. And they arrived in the upper room with dirty feet. No one was there to wash them. Uh, in the culture of that day, it wasn't unusual at all for a servant, the lowliest servant in the household, to be available to wash the feet of someone as they came in uh, to their house. It was an opportunity for the disciples to do that. Why didn't they see that there was dirty feet? They all had them, right? It was an opportunity for them to serve, wasn't it? One of them could have easily recognized that. Hey, there's nobody here to do that. I think I'm going to jump in and, and wash feet. But they didn't. But Jesus did. To be an example for them and to them. Now think about this for a second. God, Jesus, the creator of the whole universe stooped down to wash the dirty, stinking feet of the disciples. Think about that picture. And I got a feeling, I don't know, that these were gnarly feet. You know, ugly feet with nasty toenails and, oh, who knows what's between them. And you know what I'm saying? Think of the dirtiest, nastiest feet you can think of and the creator of the universe, God himself, stooping down to wash their feet. There was a song that came out uh, some years ago. It's one of my favorite songs at uh, holiday season, for, at Christmas, called Mary, Did You Know? I don't know how many of you are familiar with that song, but there's one line in there where the, uh, the verse says, Mary, did you know that when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God? 
And that line just, oh, it just, well, gives me holy bumps, even thinking about, you guys know what holy bumps are, don't you? We'll talk later about holy bumps. Whole nother teaching. Uh, but there's just things like that when, that when you hear it, it just really stirs something up inside of you. And this is one of those things that God himself would wash these dirty, nasty feet of the disciples, especially given all the talk that was going on right then. Uh, you know, this whole who's going to be greater and all this. You know, you know, he gets up, he stoops down to wash the feet of uh, these disciples. <laughs> we know, we've seen feet, the feet of our spouse or our kids or our fathers or grandfathers or whatever. Some people just have ugly feet, dirty feet, stinky feet. So imagine the humility that it takes to stoop down and wash those feet. But we see what Jesus did here. Verse 5, After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which He was girded. So one by one, Jesus moves around the room, washing these dirty, ugly feet of the disciples. And the whole time this is going on, one of the disciples, I believe, Peter, is watching and wondering, why are these guys letting him do this? Why is this, why is this going on? What is, what is happening here? This is just bizarre. So he moves around the room, and I think if you do the math, it would be a total of like 24 feet. At least that's what I came up with. <laughs> I know, brilliant, right? <clears throat> but he's moving around the room washing all these feet and he comes to Peter. And Peter said in verse 6 to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Remember when John the Baptist baptized Jesus? At first, John was very reluctant to do it, wasn't he? He tried to prevent it. He said, I need to be baptized by you and, and you're coming to me? And Jesus answered, permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness peter's reluctant here to allow the lord to do this but the lesson is needed because it's going to be a lesson in righteousness and humility jesus answered peter and said to him in verse 7 what i am doing you do not understand now but you will know after this he's basically saying peter look i understand right now you don't get it but I'm going to explain it to you, and you will understand. Peter, let me do this now, and the, the explanation will come later. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Now, <clears throat> I don't think that, you know, in audio systems there's a thing called reverb or even echo, and so something is said, and it goes, you know, it's said, and said, and said, and said, and said, and it kind of rings out so that you hear it again and again, and it kind of emphasizes whatever it was that was being said or sung. I think that that's kind of the case with this almost. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me, with me, with me, with me. Peter would have heard that. Peter would not have liked that. 
He would not have liked what he heard, but he would have heard it. And we see that by the way that he responds in verse 9. Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Lord, I, I want to be with you. I want a part of you. I want to continue to have fellowship with you. So Lord, if it requires you just to wash me completely, <laughs> do so. Years ago, Pastor Chuck Smith tells of when he was baptizing in uh, the ocean that one of the guys that he took out, he explained to him what baptism was all about. And just before he submersed him in the water, he said to Pastor Chuck, hold me down a long time, Chuck. I got a lot to bury. <laughs> we can all relate to that, can't we? Because we do want to be washed thoroughly, washed clean. So we can see Peter's response here. He didn't want the Lord washing his feet. He just thought, Lord, I, you know, really, I should be washing your feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. And Peter's like, and the Lord, wash all of me because I want to continue my fellowship with you. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are cleansed of our sins at that very moment. You might want to jot this down. Remembering that salvation is an event. It's a point in time. It's something that happens in a point in time. And sanctification is a process. So there's a point in time when we are saved. We come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's a point in time that that happens. That is an event that takes place in our life that we can always look back to you know, in our walk with the Lord. There was that time. We might not all remember the exact scenario, the exact time, day, and all of that, but there was that event that took place. And then from that point forward, there's a sanctification process that He's doing in us. So when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are cleansed. We are bathed, if you will, completely, head to foot. We're completely clean. But then after that, when we sin, <laughs> how many of us have sinned? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm, I pretty much know the answer to that. <laughs> we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? We continue to mess up. We do. We will. Now, when that happens, we don't have to get saved all over again, do we? We don't have to be bathed completely clean from our sins once again because that's already been done through Jesus Christ. But there is confession and repentance over that one trespass that we've got going on in our life right now, right? That we need to take to the Lord so He can wash the dirty feet, right? He can wash that out of our lives. We just need to ask for forgiveness for that particular sin, and it's like getting our feet washed so that we continue to stay in fellowship with Jesus. Does that make sense? So we drag in the dirt of the world on our feet. The world has so much dirt out there to offer us, doesn't it? We can get into dirt without even knowing we're playing in dirt. When you're a kid, ah, yeah, I like playing in dirt. When we get to being an adult, I guess if we're still living in a life of sin, we still like playing in the dirt. But as Christians, we shouldn't enjoy playing in the dirt, should we? There should be conviction by the Holy Spirit there telling us, you know what, it's time to get out of the dirt and time to get washed. So we bring the dirt of the world to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness and He washes our feet. He cleanses us for that particular sin that we're struggling with. 
1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those are promises that we have. He's given it to us in that verse. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. He's going to forgive us. Our sins, we know, past, present, future, are forgiven when we come to know Jesus Christ. But He wants us to keep that fellowship with Him, to keep our feet clean, if you will, coming before Him and asking, confessing, and asking for forgiveness for those areas where we've fallen short. And we all do that. How many of us would say, in all honesty, an honest assessment of ourselves, that we probably need a good foot washing at least once a day? Twice a day? Three times a day? If we get up to ten times today, I want to see you after the service and talk to you. Because <laughs> I don't want to know if your ten times is like my ten times. Because <laughs> we're all there, right? We all fall short. Peter, we some, like Peter, we sometimes find it difficult to let others serve us. How many of us have a problem with that? We just don't care for it very much when someone wants to serve us. <laughs> I contrast that with very rarely does it ever happen when someone calls up and says, can I help you move? You know, <laughs> that's kind of a rarity, isn't it? I think it would be a great thing if it happened. By the way, next spring sometime, I think Chris and I may be moving. I'm just <laughs> throwing that out there. Seemed like a good place to slide that in. <laughs> a little conviction here. <laughs> but we find it hard to let others serve us. We find it easier, less awkward for us to be the one serving, don't we? We would rather serve than have one, someone serve us. So you can kind of get a picture of where the disciples were with this too. Ah, our Lord, our Master, washing our feet, that's kind of hard for us to take. But we're not to question the Lord's will or work in our lives. And we're not to try and change it. Because if you don't get anything else out of this teaching this morning, get this. He knows what He's doing. <laughs> he just does. He knows what He's doing. He's got it all figured out. He, he knows everything, so He's able to weigh everything and do what He's doing, and it's perfect what He's doing. So He knows what He's doing. Verse 11, For He knew who would betray Him, therefore He said, You are not all clean. Now I find it interesting in this text that there's no indication that Jesus didn't wash the feet of Judas. Now imagine that. Jesus knew who his betrayer was. Jesus knew that he was going to betray him that very evening. And what did he still do? He still washed the feet of Judas. That takes some real humility. Knowing that someone is going to cause you great harm, and yet you still stoop down and serve them, in that way. Washing the feet of the very one who would betray him. I just, I know me. I think I know you guys too, that if we knew someone was going to intentionally cause us harm or grief before it happens, we saw it coming, we knew it was going to take place, how would we treat them beforehand? It says back in the, the first verse that he loved them what? To the end. And that included Judas. I believe that Jesus always felt like, even though he knew he was going to betray him, 
Maybe my love could overcome that. Maybe. In his humanity, I believe he thought that. As God, he knew it was going to take place. He just knew that it was going to happen. So how would we treat someone beforehand if we knew that? Would we be willing to wash their feet to serve them in that way? So we have what Jesus knew, what Jesus did, washing the disciples' feet, and now lastly, what Jesus said, verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If then, as your Lord and teacher, I've washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, key verse. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know what things? The things that Jesus had just modeled for them, right? These things that he had just taught them by example. He's saying, know these things, do these things, share these things. Jesus says that in providing you an opportunity to serve others, I will also provide the opportunity for you to share, to teach them as well. Share what? Teach them what? Well, Jesus says, what you know, what I have shown you. I've given you this example. The things that I have taught you over the past three years, the things that you have learned from me, including this last intimate lesson that you received, you know these things. I've provided you an opportunity for these things. I encourage people all the time to pray each morning for what? Divine opportunities, divine appointments, and an opportunity to encourage someone to the Lord or encourage someone in the Lord. Because there's only the two types of people, right? Those that know the Lord, those that don't. So you can encourage those that don't know the Lord to Him, and you can encourage those that, who do know the Lord in their walk with the Lord. So pr praying for those divine appointments, and if God provides that divine appointment and it gives you opportunity, He's also maybe not just providing an opportunity to serve in some way, but also an opportunity to share. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, but normally when you take the time out of your agenda and your schedule, sacrifice of yourself to help someone, to serve someone, it does open up an opportunity, doesn't it? Hearts are softened in that when we serve. It, it opens up an opportunity to share. So God not only provides the opportunity to serve, He also provides the opportunity for us to be a voice for Him to share what we know. So what, what's the application in all this for us this morning? Three things. We looked at what Jesus knew, what Jesus did, and what Jesus said. And for us, it's going to be what we should know, what we should do, and what we should say. What we should know, what we should do, and what we should say. What we should know. Well, those of us have relationship with the Lord. We know that He has, as Peter said, the words of what? Eternal life. That one verse alone. Lord, where should I go? You have the words of eternal life. 
Jesus said He came to save the world. He came to seek and save the lost. He's given us His Word, and we know of the work that it did in our lives. So what we should know, what we know is what He's done in us, right? He's confirmed it in us time and time again. The fact that He loves us, the way that He guides us, teaches us, corrects us, rebukes us. <laughs> All that He has done in our lives are the things that we know about Him, right? What we know, what we should know. God wants us to grow in His Word. He wants us to grow in Him as we draw closer to Him. So you're measuring that. Well, what should I know? Well, what you should know is all that you can know about your Lord and Savior, right? That's what we're doing this morning. That's what we do on Thursday nights and the ladies on Tuesday nights and on Friday mornings now. We're learning more about God for the purpose of growing us, but also that we can be used by God in the life of someone else. So what we should know, we are to be prepared. If we pray for a divine appointment, we need to be prepared for that divine appointment, right? We do that by prayer, but also being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to what it is that He wants us to share. Be prepared. So what we should know, what we should do. We should follow the example of Jesus, washing uh, each other's feet. Now, that's probably not going to happen much. That's not necessarily a cultural thing for us, right? To wash people's feet. But what's the point of this? The point is service, right? Meeting a need, the opportunity to meet a need. Serve each other. Now we looked at that picture, Jesus had his disciples, and then we can set the one aside, right? Judas, what did he do? He even served the one <laughs> that we would not want to serve, right? There are those people that come along in our lives, and if we get it in a place where we're going, well, I don't have a problem serving this group of people, but this one person, they kind of, you know, great on me. They just rub me the wrong way, and I don't know about serving. Well, the example that we have is what? That we would serve anyone that He calls us to serve. He gives us the example of the ultimate service servant in this passage, and He commands and encourages us to do the same for others. So we're to be prepared, but we're also to serve with love. So what we should know what we should do, serve with love, and what we should say. Encourage them to believe, to believe in Jesus Christ, that He is who He says He is, and sharing what He's done in our lives, right? It's really pretty simple when you think about it. All I have to do is get into the conversation with this person and share what Jesus has done in my life. Now, they might shut us down. They might say, no, 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 no I don't want to hear that. Okay. But still, we're commanded to serve and to share, and we still do what we can, right? So what we should say, we should encourage them to believe in Jesus Christ, to seize the opportunity after the serving, which is an object lesson, meeting the need, and then teach the truth of what we know of Jesus Christ and the life He offers. So we're to be prepared, we're to serve with love, and we're to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So we're to be available to know, to do, and to say what He wants. <laughs> He's in charge here, right? He's the one that should be guiding and directing our serving and our sharing. So to be available to Him to, do, to know, to do, and to say what it is that He wants. 
I entitled this teaching today, The Perfect Model for Ministry. And what a perfect model it is, whether it's on an individual level or as a church, the opportunity to serve and the opportunity to share. And we should grasp that with all our hearts. Amen? Amen.